those physicians really don't have a relationship with other team members that they need to involve. They've got maybe 10 minutes at the most to see that patient. They recognize there's a problem. They diagnose, they may prescribe medication. But if that patient is not followed consistently by a counselor or a therapist, maybe even on a weekly basis, initially, they're probably not going to be successful in being able to manage. A very unique conference being held at Bellevue Baptist Church on April 21st, 22nd, the Roller Coaster Mind Diagnosis and Treatment of Mental Illness. A mental disorder is characterized by a clinically significant disturbance in an individual cognition, emotional regulation, or behavior. It is usually associated with distress or impairment in important areas of functioning. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. We're going to talk about the subject that doesn't get talked much about in the church, and that is mental illness. And our guest today is Betty Jo Klein. We're going to call her BJ. BJ, <laughs> welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. So glad you are joined us today. Thank you. Glad to be here, Byron. You are a pastor's wife. You're also a registered nurse, and they've somehow got you in charge as the activity coordinator for the Roller Coaster Mind Diagnosis and Treatment of Mental Health Conference at Bellevue. <laughs> yes, because I wear several hats. <laughs> <laughs> You're just kind of juggling all around right now. Correct, right. Well, the issue of mental health, when did it first become a concern for you? I have a lot of bipolar issues in my family. My baby sister was recognized with some mental illness in her late teen years, but it wasn't properly diagnosed. So it's been many, many years, but we've identified that in many other family members as well. But being a nurse and a pastor's wife and having it in my family, I've seen mental illness in the workplace, in the hospital, in the church, as well as my own family. And you mentioned about the process. I think we've really come a long way as we look at diagnosing mental illness in our community. We've got a long way to go, I think, in the way of service and support and help and understanding more about it and how we as the church can engage the issue with the love of Christ. Absolutely. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. And one sad thing, the majority of people with mental illness are never diagnosed or treated. The church is usually the first place. They'll go, even if they're not a church member, They recognize that as a safe place, so many will go and consult a pastor or a counselor at a church before they'll even approach their own doctor. That's an encouraging sign. That's one that we should kind of take notice of as the church. And yet a problem there is that our pastors are saying, wait a minute, I'm not prepared for that. I'm not equipped. I'm not educated. They didn't talk about that in seminary. And they're saying, besides, I want to preach. I didn't want to be a counselor in the first place. So we recognize that our pastors frequently are our first responders. But then the primary care physician, most everybody's going to go to a doctor at some point in time. And it's the doctors, the primary care physicians that are responsible for being able to identify those issues And so our first responders are our primary care physicians and our pastors. BJ, let's talk about the evolution of the Roller Coaster Mind Conference. Really, why the title, this particular title for the conference? (laughs) (laughs) When you look at mental illness, patients themselves will describe it as being on a roller coaster. One minute they may be happy-go-lucky, it's sunshiny outside, and all's right with the world. But very quickly... 
they may hit a nosedive and live in a state of depression for days, even weeks on end. And of course, every mental illness is different. Yes. But a roller coaster is a good description of what they seem to experience emotionally. And I think that roller coaster ride is also could be described for the family members of the loved ones, would you say? Absolutely. Because they don't know getting up in the morning. What are they going to be dealing with that day? Yeah. And even if things went well in the morning, is it going to be the same that night? What is their reproach? Yes. What are they going to be facing? What are they going to be helping their loved one get through? You know, that's such a great point you make there. And I'm speaking a little bit on my own personal experience, which we talked about on the phone as we were preparing to set this interview up. I buried my dad five years ago. He had a lifelong issue dealing with mental illness in and out of mental institutions, cycling every couple of years. In the early days, he was actually diagnosed as being paranoid schizophrenic. But that's really how in the 60s, bipolar really wasn't defined like that back then. So they he, had a mental breakdown. Yeah, a mental breakdown, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and they would put him in an institution and they would stay there for so long. And dad has spent many, many times. He's had probably over 20 shock treatments in his life. Right. Medications. He lived on lithium all his life. And that really was the medication that kept right. him stable. And it's not really a medication you want to live off of because it can do other damage to your body physically, as you know, as a nurse. Right. But it was more of trying to manage through the process. Of course, right. dad lived to be 83 years old. I'm thankful that I had the relationship with my dad, but it was by the grace of God. I had doctors tell me, BJ, so many times, I can't believe you still have a relationship with your dad. Because so many people who have mental illness, there's that alienation between their loved ones and their family because the family doesn't know how to deal with it. Or this, you said, this roller coaster, you never really sometimes find a norm through the process. It's always changing. Yes. And it's not just the patient. Exactly. Everyone gets involved at one point or another. Yes. Their family is constantly dealing with this. So our design and our desire is not just for the patient themselves and to get them help and stability, but also to come alongside those family members that are crying out for help and support as far as, well, what do we do? The divorce rate with mental illness is has just skyrocketed talk about children in my case, because when you're a little four or five years old and you're understanding, why is my dad doing these things? You don't understand having a way, a support group for parents and family members who can help even younger children process this. I mean, there's a real complicated situation here, I think can really be addressed again by the church and by the power of the gospel, right? We categorize these illnesses like our prayer meetings will say, pray for Sister Jones, you know, she's having a heart cath on Tuesday or got a ear infection. Oh, these all these prayer requests. But no one ever talks about, would you please pray for me or my family? We're dealing with our sister who has mental illness. We need prayer. This is what we call the no casserole condition because they're going to take a casserole, you know, to that family when they're going through surgery or an illness or a death. And yet, like you say, when they ask for prayer for emotional and mental health issues, there's no casserole. Everybody clams up, doesn't know what to say. Unfortunately, that puts such a barrier between help and that family member or that patient. BJ, are there particular signs, and I want to help those listening today understand there are particular signs that point to a person having a mental disorder? It really depends on the mental illness that they have. Uh, We think, first of all, about just depression. 
And that withdrawing from society, normal uh, activities of the day, uh, sometimes it's just a kind of a flat affect, sleeping too much, but in some conditions... Maybe not sleeping enough. They're not able to sleep at all. Can we stop there a second? Sorry, I'm referring back to so much of what I've experienced. Because when a bipolar person is in a manic state, they can go days Days, and days without sleeping. It's incredible how long they can stay awake. Yes. And they can be so productive during those times. They are amazing workers. Yes. And accomplish so much. However... During those manic times, when they feel like they're feeling good, frequently they're coming off of their medication because they do feel good, but it's during those manic times that we typically see misbehaviors like overspending. Women especially like to go on shopping sprees during those manic times. The increase in gambling. Feel lucky. So I can go and work the tables. They engage in extramarital affairs because they feel good about themselves. So it's the manic times that frequently are causing the major problem. And yet the depression is what typically would take them to the doctor because they are recognizing, oh, I really don't feel good. I'm crying all the time. I, I'm not able to get out of bed. A lot of times they lose their jobs because literally they cannot function. Yes. They cannot manage to get up and get going. So we see a lot of the things on the outside that are symptoms of what's going on on the inside. So a lot of times the doctor will see the depression when the patient comes in, but he didn't see them in their manic state. Another thing, too, that I've always found really frustrating, and I've dealt with many, many psychiatrists over the years, sometimes they treat a patient medically to manage medicines, and that's about all they do. I met some that go beyond that, but a lot of them, that's as far as they go. There is a spiritual side to the individual that gets overlooked. And that is one of the reasons for this particular conference being designed as it is. Our focus is to reach our primary care physicians and to bring them in, to reach our pastors and bring them in. But it takes a full team of people to manage patients with mental illness. This particular conference is unique in that we're bringing in physicians as well as nurses and counselors and therapists. Yes, the pastors and ministerial staff Because it takes a team of people, and frequently those physicians really don't have a relationship with other team members that they need to involve. They've got maybe 10 minutes at the most to see that patient. They recognize there's a problem. They diagnose. They may prescribe medication. But if that patient is not followed consistently by a counselor or a therapist, maybe even on a weekly basis— Initially, they're probably not going to be successful in being able to manage their condition. And right now, there are so few psychiatrists compared to the mental illness population. Less than 10% of your mentally ill patients that are diagnosed ever see a psychiatrist. Hmm. So therefore, the primary care physician is responsible for that management, but he's going to need some help. And we want to introduce these counselors and therapists to primary care physicians and psychiatrists and pastors so they can share in this almost overwhelming 
situation with trying to help our loved ones with mental illness. BJ, this is beautiful. I love this. I love the intentionality here. I love the direction you're taking and making this happen. And what potentially could come out of this is pretty exciting to think about it. Now, when we talk about mental illness among our family members, whether it be a spouse or loved one, maybe family members see someone, and maybe they don't really know it's mental illness, but they see a family member acting out, maybe an aggressive behavior, abnormal behavior, but they don't really want to accept the possibility they have mental illness. And that can be a big roadblock for the beginning healing part or the beginning connecting part, as you know, when the family members are in denial. I've seen that side of it, too. How do you walk a family member that's in denial with their loved one? Very, very gently. I know a situation where the mother recognized the daughter with some peculiar behaviors and mentioned it to the daughter. That daughter has not spoken to her mother in 13 years. So it is a very touchy subject. Fortunately, there's still such a stigma. Yeah and a labeling with mental illness. It's difficult for the one they feel accused and may absolutely reject any help. So it absolutely must be bathed in prayer. Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, And approached very gently. And I think God has to direct as to who may recommend Mm -hmm. an evaluation Again, it's in God's hands, but it is a very touchy subject, very, very painful. You're right. Those are very, very wise words, BJ, and I appreciate you sharing that. I've seen that, too. And really, for those who are struggling with these disorders, the first part is them to identify and to accept the fact, I've got a mental illness. Exactly. And that is a very tough place to come to. Even when I had been diagnosed with a chronic health condition, I told you in the Mm -hmm. last year, coming to accept that. And learning how I can live in light of that, and despite what I have, can be difficult. It's a big mountain to climb, you know? Yes. But it's the first step. If they can get past that and, again, get to someone that can correctly diagnose, misdiagnoses are very frequent. Getting, again, one of the reasons for the conference is to help to differentiate. There are so many different mental illnesses now. And physicians that, you know, that graduated 20 years ago may have a different approach. So we're trying to bring everything current as to the current diagnoses, how to differentiate between those diagnoses to where they can be properly managed and treated. One medication may not work for everyone with the same condition. And then some it, medications have to be changed over a period of time because you age and medications you're don't exactly affect right. too, you know? Absolutely. And so it's going to be a constant management. Yes. So frequently we see uh, patients with schizophrenia. Yeah. You know, they get to feeling good and they don't think they need their medications anymore. Right. And the next thing you know, you know, they've fallen off the wagon. Well, I want to say a a tribute here, if we could, to the late Dr. Stephen Rice, a dear friend of mine who headed psychiatry at St. Francis Hospital, who was a very committed follower of Jesus Christ. Yes. Did you know Dr. Rice? Did not meet him personally, knew him by reputation. Oh, my goodness. Just the guy you wanted to be around. He understood what we're talking about today. He would have been a great asset to this uh, conference. But thankfully, there are men and women like Dr. Rice 
that are committed yes. to Jesus Christ and have a biblical world point of view. Sadly, as you mentioned just now, mental disorder types like bipolar, borderline personality disorders are often misdiagnosed. Uh, one study found, BJ, that 69% of people with bipolar were initially diagnosed with something else. So how can our pastors be more effective in supporting families and their loved ones as they work through the maze, as this was, we're seeing this is, of finding the proper diagnosis? And one of the ways to come to this conference, <laughs> right? <laughs> Hopefully so. Hopefully yeah. so. They'll get a lot of education there. <laughs> but what are some ways that pastors can be more effective in that approach when there are all these misdiagnoses? Yes, and we do not expect our pastors to be the diagnostician. Yes, good point. <laughs> uh, they are, that is not their responsibility. They're not going to be prescribing medications, but being the support person that that person that within mental illness can feel safe talking with if they have someone on staff that is properly educated as a counselor to where that can be someone that they can follow up with on a regular basis, feeling safe. Again, yeah. we know that they're going to the church whether they belong or not. Yes, They're reaching out for help. And we're not trying to force the pastors into a position that they don't want. Yes. But we do want them to feel comfortable with themselves in being able to talk and converse with people that have been struggling in themselves to deal with their diagnosis. Yes. Why do you think, BJ, the church has been mostly silent when it comes to addressing the issue of mental illness? Perhaps scared themselves. The World Health Organization tells us today one out of four families is affected with mental illness. That's a large percentage of people. Frequently, we shy away from someone that may have mental illness because we're afraid it may hit our own back door. The stigma goes there, too. So as we're kind of shying away from that individual, we're saying, uh, what about, I've got this cousin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I think sometimes to protect ourselves, but just out of our own discomfort with being able to just come alongside those people, love them, let them know that we care, that God cares, that their church family cares for them, and especially when they're going through a crisis. Yes. Meet and form partnerships and alliances is one of your goals. Uh, those who attend this conference will get to engage with mental health professionals, like psychiatrists, for example. Do they need to maintain a biblical worldview to best align with partnerships and alliances that you're hoping to create as a result of this conference? Yes. And partnerships and alliances, sometimes physicians are a little skeptical about being able to join with someone else. I feel that hopefully through this conference and actually getting introduced face-to-face, -face, knowing where someone else is coming from, they'll be a little more comfortable in being able to refer to someone that they've met personally and know what their worldview, yes, yes. <laughs> as far as mental illness goes, and their biblical standpoint as well. Now, you're bringing together at the conference, as you mentioned, healthcare professionals, primary care, nurse practitioners, psychiatrists, as well as pastors, therapists, and Christian counselors. Have you had any roadblocks in, in trying to communicate this message, anything to motivate people to want to come to participate? Unfortunately, Byron, these groups don't always play well together. We feel the church is the perfect place to bring them 
a safe place even for our practitioners <laughs> as well as for those patients with mental illness. But they all agree that it does take a full team of people working together yeah. in order to manage these people. That's why I just think your sister and you and whoever else behind this putting this together is brilliant. You guys are doing a great job. You've stated, now we don't have a lot of time, but I really want to camp here for a second. You stated that the only place for all of those providing care and assistance to this mental illness population is the church, God's house, hospital, as you refer. Jesus came to help the sick, not the well. I want you to expand a little, if you will, in more detail how this comes from your heart. This conference has been in the making for 17 years. As I mentioned earlier, my sister was diagnosed early during a very, very difficult time of at the brink of suicide. God just came down and just rescued her, didn't free her from bipolar, but set her free emotionally and mentally to face the challenges that she would suffer with for the rest of her life. And from that came this vision for this conference, recognizing she saw that it took a whole team of people to help her. She's got a pastor, a primary care physician, a therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist. All of them have their part. All of them are important to do their particular role, and they can't do each other's role. The physician, the primary care physician, doesn't have time to counsel. The counselor can't prescribe the medications. Keeping them, BJ, on the same page exactly. is so important. <laughs> Oftentimes, when dad would start cycling, going into a manic state, and you have to go into the hospital, it's like whatever other doctor, if you can't get your doctor and there's another doctor there, they ignore whatever treatment's done, don't even consult with the primary right. care or any other doctor. They just start their own thing. Which can be devastating. It can be devastating. <laughs> it is devastating. Yes. Getting these professionals on the same page is so critical. Yes. And we're, we're hoping that through this conference that we will have, you know, good attendance, that they will recognize the need for this introduction of other team members yes, and being willing to coordinate and cooperate with each other yes, so that they don't feel the burden of having to do it by themselves. Right. I understand that 14.5 credits for continuing education unit and continuing medical education will be given out by the University of Tennessee Health Science Center. Yes. How important is this for individuals attending? Uh, for your professionals, very important because they are all requiring continuing education. A blessing is for us that now after COVID, they have said you have to have a certain percentage of your credits in-house. You have to have them face-to-face. -face. Over COVID, they were able to have all of their continuing ed done online. So they could click a button on their computer and sit back in their pajamas and get their credits. They're now required to have a certain percentage of those credits face-to-face. -face. So in two days, they're getting the 14 and a half credits. Right. And recognition of mental illness, principles of diagnosis, treatment of mental illness, COVID impact, depression, anxiety, social media, bullying, acting out, suicide signs and prevention, overview of medications, de-escalating potentially dangerous situations, modern day teens, cultural issues, ethnicity, sex, gender, and age. These are only a few. I can't even name them all. We don't have time to. <laughs> right. But we're just trying to let people understand this is very in-depth. Yes. And we recognize that there are times when people with mental illness 
can be beyond our control. We will have uh, speakers from the critical intervention team from the Bartlett Police Department that are going to be able to guide us as to how they, too, might be able to help When you've got someone with a mental illness crisis, the last thing you need is to slap them in handcuffs and cart them off to jail. The critical intervention team was actually designed here in Memphis in 1988, and it has gone nationwide. I'm glad you're bringing that element into the picture, too. Well, BJ, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for what you and your sister Debbie and all the team are doing for Christ's kingdom to address mental illness in an appropriate way through the church and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you so much for sharing this. Again, friend, April 21st and 22nd, the Roller Coaster Mind Diagnosis and Treatment of Mental Illness at Bellevue Baptist Church. Is there a registration deadline? How do you register? What does it cost to register? All those details. There are different costs depending on whether or not you're getting continuing education or medical education units. Pastors are a different price. We do ask for registration. That is a requirement. Yes. So that we know how many meals to fix, how many chairs to sit out. Yeah. <laughs> so they can register at Bellevue.org slash mental health, or they can even text mental to 901-901. And the sooner, the better. We need that information again so that we can plan appropriately for everyone coming. These are two solid days. You're going to walk away from there, I think, having a, and hopefully there's going to be these relationships, like you're saying, are going to make connections. Yes. And we will have specific segment of breakouts for the physicians themselves, medical professionals, and then for the counselors and the therapist, and then a separate section for pastors and ministerial staff and lay people. So that will be focused directly for them on their level of expertise and their profession so that they will have something specific for just them. DJ, I hate to say goodbye, but we have to go. Listen, I want you to come back. This is an issue we've got to keep in the forefront of our listeners, okay? Absolutely. Even when a conference is not going on. So if you know another topic related to how we can communicate this message to our listeners so we can know how to pray, our pastors can be better prepared, please call me up, okay? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for letting us tell our colleagues and friends about this conference. Friends, go to the website again, bellevue.org slash mental health, or you can text the word mental to 901-901. Do it now. Register soon and take advantage of this conference. Again, the Roller Coaster Mind Diagnosis and Treatment of Mental Illness, April 21st and 22nd at Bellevue Baptist Church. Well, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.